I've actually trained guys here that other places will probably say they're unplayable. If you can make ordinary people do extraordinary things, then that's true leadership. Hello everyone, welcome back to Breaking Bread, Birmingham Food Podcast presented by Food Obsessed Mates. I'm your host, co-host Liam, and sitting opposite me is my co-host and brother from another mother, Carl. Hello. That was uh, very weird. <laughs> the vibe I'm in today. The vibe I'm in. How you doing? Matches the moustache, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah man, wicked. Glad to be back. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's yeah. weird not recording for a while. And then yeah. you get used to not recording, then you get start doing it again. You're like, oh, I can't believe I weren't doing it. Yeah, yeah. I start getting irritable idea. I'm like, I need to get recording again idea. Yeah, we've done things a bit differently. So we haven't been just chilling like from December to now. We have been recording, but we wanted to get a few in the bag just in case. And it was causing me massive stress to have like just one recorded <laughs> and then nothing. And then trying to get another one recorded. So it's, I feel it's better to do as we're doing it now. But you don't need to know that. No. <laughs> we're doing this and we've got three recorded at the moment. Yeah, we're loving it. Got loads coming up. Cannot wait for you to hear it. They're good, aren't they? Yeah. Really good. Yeah, well, this yeah, one, yeah. this one's amazing. Yeah, we'll get on to this one in just a minute. But I want to hear about where we've been eating. Where do we go for Christmas dinner? Well, not Christmas dinner, our Christmas night out. Yeah. I mean, normally, you know, we always go Michelin star for Christmas dinner. Not our actual Christmas dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The breaking that me and you Christmas just treat ourselves out. to a Christmas night out. Uh, I feel like the wives weren't having it this year, were they? No, and, and, and you know what? I feel like it's on trend because you can see uh, after Christmas, a lot of people are cost of living crisis, maybe just reining it in a little bit and not going Michelin star. Jeez, I mean, big commands, surely. You'd have thought so. Yeah, Trapea in Harborn. Loads of people have been telling us about how great this place is for <laughs> It ages feels like everyone well. says, oh, have you been there? And we're like, no, yeah. Joe and Comrade, like, they tell us every time, like, this is the best place in Birmingham to go. <laughs> and we're like, oh, we'll get there. It's Harborn. It's a mission, but we'll get there. Well, that's the thing. Like, you drove and it was still, like, yeah. 35, 40 minutes, wasn't it? It's the kind of place, you know, you go and you eat your food and you're, like, kicking yourself. Why didn't I go here sooner? It's just the type of place I only go with you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't afford taxis that far. Mate, that was wicked though, wasn't it? Oh, Every it was unbelievable. Was so good. Yeah, it was great. The sharing aspect of it. It's not dear either. You could go in, get a couple of plates and go home. Yeah, you could pop in for lunch and have a really cheap lunch. And then... Not that we would. We'd... Oh, no, we went mad. Well, yeah. we don't know when we're going again, so I just ordered everything. They kept telling us we've ordered too much and we disagreed. <laughs> yeah, I was like, nah, don't worry. We'll order another round of bread, please. Yeah, we'll keep it coming, keep it coming. I was, yeah, I went service through. was incredible. Atmosphere in there was brilliant. Everything. Yeah. It was it was annoying that we hadn't been there. Like I was sitting there half like half in awe of how great this place was and half annoyed that I hadn't been there. I'd go back tomorrow if I could. Yeah. Definitely. I think they would gotta get another one on the plan to go there. But the st- everything was good. They do their own martini, that was great. The grappa they said is great. I mean I literally drank everything I could get the my hands on in there. Was unbelievable. Yeah, all the food. The pasta, yeah, everything was superb. Even just like the salads yeah. were like 
and made like the best salad. Everything yeah, was the best yeah. version of what I had. You'll never ever see Carl going, let him gotta try this salad. Come try this salad. I know, yeah. <laughs> but we were. I think you were. <laughs> I tell you where else was that like it was on our bucket list and we it wasn't on this list that we just made here, but Alamexicana man. Yeah, we never got around to that and then we went, didn't we? Yeah, finally got to Alamexicana with uh, Rory and Farah. Yeah, from Shout Paws, out to Paws, yeah. our uh, friends, yeah, we went with them. But oh, that was unbelievable as well. It's this exact same situation, yeah. everyone's saying, oh, you've got to go, you've got to go, you've got to go. And then you go and you're like, oh, fuck, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> like, really, really good. Every time I go to Wally Woods now, I'm going to go there, for, I'm going to time it, I'm going to go there for lunch and just grab a burrito or something, because it's just ridiculous. I want to do the breakfast there, man, that looked good. Oh, everything's just great. And uh, It's so simple as well, like, you see pictures, people's pictures and you're like, Really? Is it that good? And then I you can eat make it. And you're all, like, I can fuck. make all the at and you get there. And it's like, oh, there's levels to this game. <laughs> yeah, there's flavour. You know what I mean? Proper flavour. <laughs> yeah, and the, the, the owners like just came around chatting. Lovely guy. Nice family-run restaurant. Brilliant. The best. Spare wood. That uh, chocolate. What was it? You had a mango sorbet and I had a chocolate oh, the sorbet. Sorbets were ridiculous. Unreal. Better than any ice cream, better than anything that cold I've ever had before. No sorbet. Has any business been that good? No, no. It was incredible. Ridiculous that was. We didn't try the, well, I didn't try the tequila or the mezcals, but next time I think I'm going to see what I can get on, especially the mezcal. I love mezcal. Yeah, you make a proper night of it. Like. Yeah. That but again, a, that's that for us. It's night. far though, isn't it? Yeah, it's far. So yeah. It's a bit of a distance. But yeah, them two places, I'm very happy we managed to tick them off the list. And uh, our first meal out after Christmas was uh, back to the wilderness, kind of picking up where we left off. The wilderness keeps doing great things. They keep doing great things, we're going to keep going. We keep going, yes. (laughs) That's how it is. So this was for Andy, for Low and Slow. He did a collab with um, 670 grams, Cray. Cray, our good friend Cray Treadwell. Two people, two former guests, two people we really get on with. Amazing people and amazing food. Yeah, <laughs> and then, food was crazy. Yeah, it was wicked. When really it, good. That was the fried chicken when it cried on his fried... No, um, Andy done the fried chicken and that was wicked. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're kind of merging into one, but I definitely remember the fried <laughs> yeah. chicken. Yeah, it was all good, man. Yeah, so everything they both of them do is just ridiculous. So yeah, it was When they incredible. team up, you know it's going to be banging. He's got a, another one coming up, hasn't he, with um, Land? Land, yeah, that one's coming up soon. That'd be wicked as well. I mean... Talk about restaurants that have been on our list for ages. And we yeah, just land's need on the list. I haven't been there, yeah. We've just got to do what we did with the uh, other places. Just say, right, let's get a date and let's just go. Cause... To be fair with land, I've tried going about four yeah. times and it's always fully booked. Yeah, you've, got to book, massive, well, you've got to book well in advance to go there, I think. Which is good for them, you know. Yeah, great for if them. If I can't yeah. get a table, it must yeah, be for do something right. <laughs> <laughs> bad for us. Great for them. So this episode today... It's another one that's been... We're kind of crossing through our list of like people that have been on our list from the beginning. Yeah, people we've spoke to and said, do you want to come on? And they're like, yeah, 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 I'll come on. And then six months later, we haven't spoken. Six months if you're lucky, like maybe three years later. (laughs) (laughs) So MK, Chef MK. Yeah, Massive talent, like, yeah, Roger Monkey. um, Formerly, well, not formerly, still part of the San Group. He he opened the San, yeah. Changed to there. But he opened the original Lasan with his brother Jabba. And so we get all of the story of the Lasan group as well. It's like a double whammy of a podcast. It's brilliant. This is very much his own place. Yeah, right. Very different style and just, you know me, like it happens to be close to us. It's only down the road. 
But that's not why I'd class it as like one of my all-time favourite places to eat. It just is that good that it is. Yeah. So anyone asks me where my favourite curry is, I always say Raja Monkey. Yeah. And it's it's kind of weird. It, it feels like I'm giving it a disservice by calling it a curry house, but it is still essentially an Indian you can restaurant. Get but Indian it's, food, like the yeah. curries, you know, there's a there's at least like a section where mm. they exist. But that beef biryani that I had, yeah. oh man. I tend to go and every time I'll order, I'll order something that I do not recognise the name of and is really unfamiliar and I'm always so happy that I do it that way. Yeah, that, and that's what he kind of wants you to do as well. You could see a little smile on his face when he's talking about his special boards and trying to introduce um, well, I had, brummies um, to something special. Time, I had the uh, mutton chops oh. and it was just like thick black sauce all over these mutton chops and strong garlic. Oh, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. So chef, with most chefs we've noticed, is that they're really passionate. And while we're recording, he's banging away on the table. So there is a slight little rumble that I could not get rid of in the editing. But you'll be pleased to know that since then, we've started doing a buy me a coffee. So if you love what we do, if you ever listen to us and think, you know what, I like them lads. If I send them out, I'd buy them a coffee or a beer. You you can. There's a link now in this, on this episode you can click that link and do a one-off, just buy us a coffee or a beer or whatever. Starts at like three quid. Three quid. We'll love you forever for that. You know what? It all goes back into the podcast. So yeah. we bought a new boom. We've just one got of them, a new so, boom. That's yeah, what I was trying so. to get around to. So hopefully there's no more rumbling. So you don't have to listen to the rumble because we've got managed to get a boom. Because so. with everything, we do this for the love of it. We don't get paid. Although the podcast is free to listen to, it is not free to make. Yeah, and it's I said we get nothing out of it. Yeah. It goes into the equipment and doing the yeah, podcast yeah, itself. Yeah. We're not living it up, man. We're not going to these restaurants on your money. We wish we were. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be hungry, man. We'd be hungry. Yeah, so if you could support us like that, that's amazing. But yeah, we've done our best with this episode, and hopefully you love it because I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's a great one. Ladies and gentlemen, Chef MK. Had the uh, blackened mutton chops. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that was spiritual. I was eating it because he loves lamb yeah, chops as yeah, well. So I was yeah. like, oh, this is the dish for Liam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is a distraction. You know, if you're running a business as well, like me. Yeah. Uh, because you can't just merely think about cooking. You know, you got to think about the whole aspect of things, and it's triple times more. So, but in a way, it gives you an advantage as well because you you got control of the business and the direction of because not many restaurateurs are inclined towards food or have genuine or believe that food should be center central. Yeah. Um, so, uh, in that sense, that gave me full autonomy to do what I want. You see, That's but on great. the flip side. It, you know, you become a restaurateur and all the other things, you know, it's like one man band and you have to manage absolutely everything, isn't it? So, can we start? Yeah, yeah. we're raring to go, man. Let's yeah. go, baby. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Chess. Thanks for inviting me. How's it's you, not a problem. How's your January been? Um, It's actually, I mean, January normally we do have a decent month um, yeah. for some reason. I don't know how it works, but... Uh, Maybe people comes, stay local or something. You know? I mean, it starts off a bit steady, like you know, just after the holidays. But then, you know, it's been it's been pretty good. You know, um, can't complain in that sense. Anything in January likes pretty good. It seems busy though. You know, we've been. Carl was in Sturchley there a few weeks ago. I was in Solihull, and 
there's a lot of people out and about, you know. Well, that's that's good. That's really yeah. good to hear, you know, because mm-hmm. we we obviously are on a sort of um, unnerving kind of territory at the moment, isn't it? They're talking down a lot of in terms of the economy and so forth. So, yeah, and there's plenty uh, of places closing at the moment as well. Yeah, but horrible. I mean. I mean, you don't want to, you know, you want to remain positive uh, as a business uh, to keep your spirits up and everything. Uh, you don't want to get dragged into all that negativity. In terms of, you know, forward planning, what do you do? Do you, do you, you know, cut back? Do you, do you sort of, you know, go along with your plans and, and uh, be boisterous and, you know, sort of, uh, if I wanted to expand, for example, you know, do I hold back expansion and those kind of things? So that's, that's, that's the uncertainty that sort of causes these sort of, like, and also, you, you know, and it has a ripple effect, I guess. How do you cope with that? Because yeah. I'd be like, some days you'd listen to the news and you won't want to get out of bed. You think, I'll just shut the shop. <laughs> Funny yeah. thing it's is, going down the path. What could I do? <laughs> Funny thing is, you know, me personally, you know, I've built a resilience over the years because, you know, you, you are under, oftentimes restaurateurs are, are solo thing. It's very solo. Mm. So you're on your own. Uh, and... You know, when I first took over this place, it was the recession, like, you know, 2010, 29, 11. Yeah. yeah. So what I built, I reckon, over the years is this sort of resilience and um, the uh, an ability to uh, plow on uh, no matter what's thrown at you. Mm. Because end of the day, uh, that is the nature of the game, isn't it? There's going to be ups and downs, there's going to be peaks, and there's going to be uh, low points. Um, and one thing that got me uh, sort of, because you have to prepare and be mindful about there, there will be there will be times when things are not good, and especially in a restaurant trade, these fluctuations are can can be from one extreme to the other. Yeah. Um, uh, and and there's a Swiss Army knife company. That I, I was watching a documentary and it's been passed down generations after generations. Uh, it's a family business. And one of their secrets is they save during uh, the, the good times for the bad times. And that's how they sustain themselves over the years. Mm. So I thought that was a fantastic model like, to, to think about because, well, oftentimes, a lot of, I mean, a lot of people naively go into business thinking, restaurants especially, is very underrated thinking, well, how difficult could it be? You know, I know how to cook at home. I know how to cook at home or, you know, I could yeah. do better than that, you know. Obviously, commercially, things change. Uh, and then they realize the hard way. So naively, people go in and, and they're not actually equipped to actually survive as well. So I've seen a lot of that. Uh, but because, you know, even, even though I'm only... 44, but I feel like a veteran because I've been in the trade for like 27 years. Uh, I've, and then I'm, I'm of a generation, I think, of like a sort of interim generation of sort of the old guard and now the new trend stuff that's happening and so forth. Yeah. So uh, especially in the Asian sector that, that I'm in. Uh, so I feel like in that trash. And, and I think for those reasons, like I didn't realize how sort of even my peers in the industry how they perceive me or perceive us, you know, as 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 the Lasan group, uh, and it's actually heartwarming. Uh, but at the same time, I I think there should be more. There should be more people that are actually uh, sort of leading the way or or doing positive things, you know. Um, uh, and for me, uh, you know, it's humbling. It's definitely humbling. Um, so I try and do my sort of bit as well now because you know you have to give back. Uh, and especially like things like knowledge. So, so over the years, we've uh, you know as as a as a restaurants group, and and individually as well, 
you know, you acquire knowledge uh, and, and you want to impart that knowledge as well. And it'll be a shame, you know, so some so a lot of people obviously talk about, about our food aspect and, you know, how they love the food. Uh, it hasn't come by accident. Yeah. You know, it, it is uh, a lot of thought and a lot of time and effort and the acquisition of knowledge and sort of that uh, over the years. So that's the sort of accumulation. What you're seeing now is an accumulation of, because uh, of, I've worked with chefs like from all over, you know, different people, um, 27 years career. So you're talking, you know, I've seen a lot of people and a lot of things. And uh, I just taken the good bits, you know, I, I, you know, and, and uh, so tweaked, tweaked, tweaked. Learn from the bad bits. <laughs> yeah, and also, well, that's something my brother funnily used to say because he was interviewed once and they said, uh, so what did you, it's because, you know, we've seen the Balti restaurants, you know, the curry house and, you know, we've seen that as well. And uh, we, I actually worked. So my very first job was a KP. Uh, when I was 17 years old and I, I, I did the dishes, but I was very diligent. Even that, I took it very seriously, like mm. the hygiene. I, I, I did my hygiene and I would wear, <laughs> I would wear a chef tie and skull cap. <laughs> and I took it really sort of religiously, you know, even the pot wash is, you know, clean. So professionalism and in terms of uh, dedication and being sincere has been part of me for, for like since I've started working. Um, and I, even to this day, so I've, I've like, some strong ethos that I really hold dear to. Uh, and that's, that's about genuineness, you know, about, uh, about not sort of going with the trends for the sake of, you know, especially food. And if you're a chef, it's quite easy to be drawn into it. And then if you're a restaurateur, then commercially as well, you have to think, okay, well, do I go with the trend and, and to attract custom or do I stick to what I believe in mm. fundamentals and, and, Luckily for me here, it's been a beautiful journey where I've been able to really impart so well, sort of my heart and soul into the Raja Monkey. Uh, and then that's been the beautiful thing because like they say, a good chef is an, you know, a, a, what you see on the play is an extension of themselves. You know, we could talk about theory and application of things is, is, the, is the difficult part because you might have a concept in your mind, a restaurant you want to you know, you want to do the best. Who, who, doesn't, who doesn't have that, you know, thought? But, you know, <laughs> yeah. I want to do the best restaurant. But when it comes to actually uh, executing that, things don't necessarily turn out the way you want it to. Uh, fortunately for me, uh, the beautiful thing is a um, lot of the policies, a lot of the sort of the thinking that I had is materialized and it's actually <laughs> far exceeded my expectations as well. Yeah. That's great. We always start by... Going right back to the beginning, yeah. um, what was your childhood like? Right, so childhood, uh, you know, my father was retired before, before we've never seen him work, but he used to work in the cotton mills. And uh, we came to the UK when I was, I was only six years old. So you know, we lived in a terrace house. We lived in a sort of, you know, one might say ghetto part of the city. or Straight into in, Birmingham or... Yes, first, yeah. very first in Birmingham. And we grew up in a very sort of like a harsh, harsh period as well. You know, me and my brother, you know, we started working very young age. Um, soon as I couldn't, I just, just about finished college. And uh, well, I started working, first job was a restaurant job, like I said, KP. Uh, and I really couldn't, to sustain the family, my father 
said, you know, you're not going to uni. You, you know, you stop education kind of thing. Yeah, and I used to be quite studious. I used to love studying. And that was really hard. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really a rags to riches story, truly, to be honest. But one thing I do say is, like, my older brother, I'm not like him. He's, he's very entrepreneurial. And, you know, no one needed to tell us, you know, go and do something or work hard or achieve something. You know, there was a fire in our belly. There's a natural fire in your belly because end of the day, you start from rock bottom, you're starting from zero, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, with my, with my first part-time job, I bought my mom a toaster. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, um, and the funny thing is, so my father uh, uh, has this, uh, this uh, ritual of eating chapati and meat, red meat curry, which is not good for you for breakfast, <laughs> for breakfast, oh, that right? That's like a great uh, breakfast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So I, my elder brother and, and myself and my dad used to have that same diet. And I was only, I'm guessing now, probably 11, 12 max, you know. And, you know, the kitchen, uh, what do you call it, uh, cupboard, I'm just about reached and I'm rolling out chapatis for them. So we'd have, <laughs> So inadvertently, you know, I, I look back at myself and my whole journey and I say, I'm a, I'm one, might, one might say a reluctant chef, you know, yeah. <laughs> because... It's happened uh, subconsciously that I didn't even realize that how I got into it. Sort of like the stars aligned for you to become a chef. Yeah. So, um, you know, I never envisaged myself to be a chef. I never envisaged myself to be a restaurateur. So the trouble with Asian Indian restaurant or the industry is that it's not perceived to be a career. Um, So for those reasons, it never, even though I was earning an income, I never thought I'd be doing this. And uh, so I trained, did accounting training alongside so that I'm perceived to be <laughs> professional in the, you know, uh, uh, and, and that kind of thing. So, and in, in the community, it is looked down upon sometimes, you know, if you work in the restaurant industry, well, you know, you're not a non-achiever kind of, you know. Even so, t- is that still today? Or? There is a bit of stigma still, yeah. yeah there is a bit of stigma still. Um, but, you know, people are obviously branching out and people are a lot more, educated and you know those days you know there was no degree holder in the whole street you know whereas yeah, now yeah, every yeah. house has got you know masters <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, but I mean if it wasn't for Lasan truly and honestly you know the professionalism that we had from day one and the, our philosophy and the way we done run business I would not have done a U-turn come and I mean I was riding two boats anyway I was riding the restaurant scene and training and doing my sort of professional accounting. So I, I trained to be an accountant and I supported my brother Alassane when he opened Alassane in 2002. So I was working in the kitchen for seven years and I would, you know, like I said, inadvertently, I didn't realize I was getting hooked, you know, very excited. <laughs> the buzz, you know, I was like making sure every service is going well. I'd read the comments card and I'd go in the kitchen and tweak the menu. So I was like, I was so, I mean, he was passionate for his business, obviously. But in terms of the kitchen, I, I, I was really engrossed in that. Uh, so my younger brother, who was, who was like, uh, is a trained chef, and he, he was in the kitchen as well, so me and him. Uh, so sometimes we, we were holding the fort, you know. Um, yeah. What was it that you liked so much about it? Um, I think, you know, deep down, I'm a perfectionist. Uh, you know, there's this gravitation towards anything that is excellence. And we, when Lasan, uh, you know, from the very get-go, 
we were we were like the black sheep. We were the groundbreaking kind of restaurant in Birmingham. Yeah, I remember um, it coming out. Yeah, um, big news. Yeah, so we were ahead of our time. We were sort of doing we were because you're young. You know, when you're young, you have that confidence. Then that fear isn't necessarily there. We were, you know, I I heard people say we were fools to open where we opened Lasan because. Let's be honest. There was no passing trade there. No, it was, no, it was a real it. risk, you know. Um, about half the flats that are there now weren't there. That's then right. Either. It was derelict, and they've been talking about doing up Julie Quarter all these years, and there's no re- regeneration <laughs> after all these years, you <laughs> yeah, know. Um, so, but but on the flip side, he has this exclusivity about it. You had this nice sort of, you know, for those days, it was like he had a clean kind of look and the minimalistic look, and so we we were at that time. So. As a chef as well, you know, I've come full circle where, you know, those days I, I thought the, the, the best uh, chefs were the modeling towards, you know, the French chefs and mm-hmm. the, the, the styling of plating and all that kind of, you know, the, the nouvelle cuisine. So I, I, I was fascinated with that. I know I, I like, you know, sort of, how do you call it? But the difficulty with Indian food is, is very difficult to present, mm. to, to make it presentable. Because let's be honest, you know, the culture here of dining out, etc. It's not like that in the sub- Indian subcontinent. Even more recently, you know, you got people coming out and dining, but there was no such concept of restaurants. You know, there's cafes and sort of like fast food, what you call it. But there's no, no, it wasn't a lifestyle thing over there. Only more recent thing, you know. Yeah. So they say there's more Indian restaurants in England and UK than in India, you know. <laughs> um, and the, for those very reasons. So, so we were, that's what I mean by we were at a time period. So we were like early migrants or well, second generation, whatever you like to call it, migrants in this country. So I'm in this unique transition period in history where, where we are bridged between the culture in the Indian subcontinent and here. And I always use that as to my advantage as well. Because I homed in. So when you're the chef, you know, you're soul searching, you're, you're trying to find an edge over the, somebody else. And I thought that gave me a USP because I spent 18 months in uh, where, where I was born. And my father took me to get cultured and I, and I literally got cultured because yeah. I did absolutely everything over there. And that was, so even to this day, I have some food memories from... Where, uh, where was that? So it was Silet, Bangladesh. Um, so obviously, uh, you know, Bengal, you know, was split and then yeah. you know Calcutta so forth but we were the same culture and is known for food Bengal is known for food uh yeah all historically has been and our diet is more fish based and more rice based you see so and and uh, you know in the UK uh, things are obviously different because at that time my father's generation we were India we were India and the people that set up the very first restaurants Bangladeshis that called it uh, called the Indian restaurants, right? And even even the ignorance of the the you know the community here, we were generalized anyway. Pakistanis, Bengalis, Indians, we're all the same. We're yeah, all Indians, right? right. So it, and and this is not Bangladeshi is not catchy. Let's be honest, you know, it's not like you know a Bangladeshi <laughs> restaurant. Okay, when we when we opened Lasan, you know, me and my brother, we didn't have to even discuss it. We knew the elephant in the room was there's more to Indian food or the food of the Indian subculture um, than what was offered here in the UK. It was, you know, it was apparent to us. Um, so what we were introducing was home cooking and ingredients and exotic ingredients. We started doing that. And it's been a learning curve, you see. It was trial and error, mm-hmm. testing new things. Um, so we weren't afraid to experiment, uh, but the the general public in Birmingham and the surrounding areas weren't ready for it. So we had to backtrack 
and right. we had to, so imagine like fine dining Indian looking restaurant and people come in and ask for a tropi- tropical balti, <laughs> yeah. right? Okay, so we had to backtrack because like I said, we're ahead of our time. Um, so there's a, been a process of education and that is the frustrating th- thing for me, even to this day, you know, what I'm doing with Raja Monkey, you probably noticed because you guys have been coming here, you know, it's a journey where I can't force things because it's your, it's your market that dictates end of the day. Yeah. So, but as a chef, it's frustrating because you can't push the people to try and be adventurous or try something new, flavors, new tastes. So you have to wean, wean people in, unfortunately. And that's what I've been doing here to date. Uh, and it's frustratingly slow uh, because people are resistant a lot of the time. Of, wait. So what I did was the, the, the Raja Monkey, I did Chef Specials Board. And that's been the breakthrough for me where yeah. I got people to try new things. To the point where we'd get a phone call, oh, what's on the chef's board? board? Yes, we got, we got chef specials, yes, we're coming, right? They put the phone down, they'll come and won't even ask about the price or what it is, yeah. give me. And 99.9% has been a hit. And because yeah. that's something, and not only myself, because I, let, I, I like to empower my team as well, and I let some of my guys come up with things if they wanted to. Um, and and do and I test it and make sure you know it's of a decent standard. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, you know and, and it's been a roaring success in that you know. And and from that uh, the my current menus evolved as well. You know where I used elements of that. So so it's been a it's been a very interesting journey. Yeah, I've got. I mean, every time I come into the restaurant, I always purposely try and have a different main course every time just to try and get through the menu. And I've never <laughs> once been let down ever. Oh. Yeah, so I mean, this is the thing, you know, in terms of, it's been a learning curve anyway, but it's not like, you know, a lot of young chefs I speak to sometimes, you know, they think year one, year two, they'll be the best chef in the country, (laughs) right? Or, okay, it just doesn't happen like that. Uh, And look, I'm I'm doing it for 27 years. I've matured into it, but it took me a while, but I'm sure others could reach, uh, you know, a lot sooner. That's not the point what I'm trying to say is, the, the knowledge base that the basic foundation you can sort of fool people or you can sort of be pretentious and and sort of try and jump the gun make yourself look the part and so forth but the basic uh, crux of the substance you know you you want develop substance uh, without having the exposure without really putting your mind and soul and heart into learning and persevering with uh, you know, understanding flavors, understanding techniques, uh, and and being a sponge. I, I always look for good attitude um, when it comes to working in the kitchen or in general. That's how I've been. You know, I've been like a sponge. I, I respect my elders, even though they knew less than me or weren't sort of versed in English or or versed in like sort of the contemporary stuff. Mm. Uh, but I respect them. I'll speak them to them. I'll, I'll try and bring something out of them, <laughs> like you know about anything that they've you know, food experiences and so forth. So um, I, I'm quite, I was quite inquisitive and I'd ask questions, you know, and that, that's how I learned. In the UK, there's no training school for Asian Indian, you know, proper, what do you call it? So we learned on the job. That is something that is oh, actually, uh, unfortunately, one of the reasons why we are not seeing more and more Asian chefs coming out in a big way uh, is predominantly because there isn't a schooling or a learning method. So, you know, whereas the, you know, the Western cuisines, you know, you had the ruse and, you know, you had all that sort of real institutions where people can come through the ranks 
And then you got, you know, look at the revolution happening in the UK food scene. You know, it's amazing. And it, But it's a more recent phenomenon if you think about it. Yeah, it's not uh, that old. It's not been that long. But we don't have many solid institutions of, of restaurants or even, you know, where I can say, guys, go there or go there, get some experience through those school, through those chefs or those uh, kitchens and you, you, will, you will learn, you know. So the, unfortunately, not many kitchens are churning good candidates out or, or people of uh, notable, what do you call it, because of the, the practices and the knowledge simply isn't there. Do you think that it's harder for places like, say, UCB that do a great job in Birmingham of putting out lots of chefs? If one of them comes to your kitchen... Are they just completely lost because the techniques are different and the spicing is completely different to what they'd be used to? Um, I'm not entirely certain, you know, in terms of their, their syllabus, how much they're teaching. And, you, you know, from what I've seen, you know, you, you'd be very rudimentary, you know, so you, obviously. But that, that I wouldn't knock them for because no, no, even, even seasoned, chef, seasoned chefs I'm talking they have to relearn everything when they come to us. I was going to say, you, know, you cook uh, a lot with a tandoor uh, as well, don't you? Yeah, like and, and, and I mean, I mean nowadays like the colleges do have tandoors, uh, but that is, again, you know, these, these skills are with time, you know, you develop, uh, like with anything, you know, spicing is a, is a very uh, sort of intuitive cooking. Mm. And that is something you can't force down someone, what do you call it? Because I run cookery classes here. Because there's this argument that, you know, you can't teach Asian cooking to non-Asians. There's these people that make this argument. I, I disagree on that, you know. Uh, I, I, yes, they have an advantage maybe because they, they've you know, been brought up <laughs> tasting the same food, right? Yeah. So, they, and, and, but so they might have an advantage, Asians or, you know, people from the Indian subcontinent. But, uh, but I think that the, the factor is, you know, if you overcome the fear of the exoticness and all that kind of thing, and you have the right attitude. You can be taught. You know, I have taught people. You know, you know, youngsters. Uh, if they have the right attitude, I would teach them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what I've been doing with Raja Monkey as well is 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 trying to be that beacon of like I'm fighting my little own little in my little way because under the we're a small business. You know, we can't change the world, <laughs> right? But then I, I thought about this and I contemplated. I said, okay, so what what is it that how, that how do I attract people? How would I sustain my business? So. Said, well, I need to. Ins- I'm going to inspire people, and I've had people, uh, youngsters, that have worked in other restaurants. But when they come here, you can see in their faces how how they, you know, they're smiling in terms of that they feel they're learning. They 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 feel, you know, what are we doing here is very exciting and and you know revolutionary to a certain degree, you know, and 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 they get inspired. I've actually trained guys here that other places will probably say they're unplayable. If you can make ordinary people do extraordinary things, then that's true leadership. And yeah. because five fingers are not the same. And the industry we are in is very hard to attract the talent and attract people that, you know, qualified or, you know, people. Uh, so, and they go into hotels and stuff, you know. So for the independence, you're not going to be able to remunerate them and, and give all the perks like, like big companies would. So <laughs> it's a very, very tough industry. We kind of sk- skipped ahead, but. How did we get to, because we're recording this in Roger Monkey and Hall Grain, <laughs> you kind of skipped from town, because last summer's in town, Jewelry yeah. Quarter. Uh, what did you open here in Hall Grain? What brought you to Hall Grain? Right, it's a funny story because it happened by default again. We, we weren't thinking of opening it. This was the second branch, uh, second outlet. Lausanne was, at that time, you know, we was making headway, you know, waves, and we were really constrained on Lausanne. This particular site came across uh, one of, uh, our uncles actually 
uh, he saw the site and he kind of approached me and my brother. What do you think? You know, can you guys help? And you know, you do the, all the branding. You do, you know, Jikoli. What do you think? So my brother said, oh, "What do you think?" I said, "Well, you know, we don't do takeaways at Lasan. This could be. It's a residential area. Uh, we can do a takeaway brunch of Lasan. So that's how Lasan Eatery <laughs> came about. So we came in and then." Being who we are, you know, nothing was going to go amiss. You know, we, we, we were really focusing on absolutely every single detail and making sure it's to a good standard. Okay, so this location, so it sort of morphed from one thing to another. It started out as Lausanne Tree. Even then, you didn't start off doing like, this is laughable, I'm going to say traditional Curries, yeah. Curries, like yeah, so. what we're used to in, in, in England. You yeah. didn't you just stick on a load of puffies and gel fries mm. and stuff. That's not no, no, so doing. we still stuck to our principles. Uh, for example, like the demand is there for a gel fraise, the demand is there for a madras. So what we said was, you know, and when I took over, especially I said, okay, well, if I'm going to do gel fries, it's going to be the best gel fries here around. Even though there's no such thing as, you know, there's a gel fry, which is like a, actually a stir fry, which is not a curry. You know, so if you look at uh, how how uh, sort of authentic these uh, things are. Uh, you know, we do chicken madras, for example. Now we had guys from Chennai work for us. Mm. Okay, so they're from where what was known as madras. Okay, <laughs> and they were laughing. We never had so a curry called madras. You know, <laughs> so very. You know, it's very much like a love thing in terms of the menu. It's you know, I don't knock it. I say it's anglicized menu. So, but don't say it's authentic and it comes from a particular region in India. It's, it's it, delicious. It, it, yeah, well it is. yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, you know, people yeah. love it. That's fine. You know, there's a market for it. So be it. Uh, you know, I don't knock it in that sense. So, what was the food when you first opened? What? Here, Raja Monkey. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sorry, Lasani Tree. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was a menu, um, sort of a bit, sort of. So we want to keep it accessible. So it was more curry in a bowl, and you know, Lasan was the plated food and the more sophisticated kind of what you call it. So we were still doing decent, you know, what you call it. But there was a lot of on the offerings and uh, in terms of uh, things that sort of you know it was quite elaborate menu, you know, bit of lama. So, but we we started off things like dosas and stuff, which was quite unheard of around that time. Fresh as well, like you know, we had a you had a grinding machine. We still got it, and we had a, this industrial one imported too. Actually, <laughs> imported from <laughs> India uh, with grinding the rice and lentils and stuff. So real, you know, the stone stone grinders yeah. and stuff. So we very few people even to this day do that because they buy in packets of you know. Yeah, there's people today that still don't know what a dosa is. I'm pretty sure if I ask my old man, he'd be like, I don't from <laughs> and he loves it. Well, the very few people do it, and I think there's a particular reason for that because it's quite sort of you have to be skilled. You have to yeah. be skilled, and it requires nowadays. It's all about commercialized kind of in restaurants where de-skilled everything, you know. So that's why they wouldn't, you know, they they, they want probably half the time they can't employ someone that can make dosas. So you were kind of like doing street food before street food was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, um, Raja Monkeys when we actually said, yeah, we we're doing street food. My brother was the person that brainchild in terms of rebranding. Um, he he was adamant, you know, we need to rebrand because Lasan Ichi was being confused with Lasan in terms of, because we opened and um, we, to our surprise, I mean, we didn't realize the amount of uh, uh, interest there would be. People were queuing outside and it was jam-packed inside. People on the opening night were standing up and uh, no space. And we were refusing a lot of people and stuff like that. People were expecting the Lasan in St. Paul Square <laughs> as well. So it was getting a bit confusing. Uh, and, and for me personally, when I took over from my brother, it was a bit of halfway house. For me, it was no here, no there. So, And, and then the, the thought of street food was mentioned. 
so uh, and it was left to me and because I I said well you know Raja Monkey I'm I don't want anyone else involved <laughs> it'll be just uh, sort of myself uh just for to keep things simple the way in terms of managing or you know following through in terms of <clears throat> the vision so everything starts with the vision so I put a lot of thought into what, what I was going to do and I followed my heart and that's you know that's been the best thing the way I saw it food is all you know about winning hearts and minds is subjective so how do you uh, how do you attract people how do you win over people and i took a really different approach with raja monkey comparison to what we are doing in lasan so lasan was you know in the news for awards and one thing after another you know been very popular but i took a reverse sort of what you call it approach here where i, I said no it's going to because it's a double edged sword uh, people come with high expectations and all that kind of thing and it's quite loaded like sort of perception of what you know so i said you know what how do i get people to think about what i'm putting in front of them rather than this built up sort of anticipation of this award winning restaurant you know so the philosophy of my philosophy was promise less deliver more okay yeah. so these kind of strategies i applied and, and then i said okay you know restaurants are are more than just food and service and marketing it's it's a people's business so you are interacting with people on a daily basis you got people within your organization working uh, in the kitchens and so forth and you are dealing with people so 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 then i said to, so one of our marketing guys <laughs> so we were brainstorming the very he, him and i sat at the back let's an eatery and they said what are you going to do i says you know what? I, you know this place lacks a soul and he said you know munaim that's true <laughs> because we were like a conveyor belt of churning people we were efficient Yeah. We're efficient like the way you know you have impersonal service like the way you have chains. It was a conveyor belt of people coming in and out. But I felt there was lacking. It was lacking in terms of a real soul. And I applied that through everything that I do and that's where I what I mean by um by the ethos of genuineness and authenticity. Authenticity point of not you know necessarily the origins of where our dishes come from. but but being genuine in what we are producing so no gimmicks no what do you call it uh, real hearty food uh, work you know we 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 put sort of so many uh, sort of layers of effort and hard work in what we do uh, what you see on the end product you know a lot of people judge it by the color and so forth so i said okay you know you can judge by your taste and you're going to compare it with price and so forth but in terms of the level of effort Uh, and the thought process that has gone into what we do you know is unparalleled you know i engrossed myself in the business i put my heart and soul into it uh what i drew from was my experience in bangladesh like i said because wherever i go in the indian subcontinent you come across shacks uh you come across rundown places uh where some individuals cooking up fresh food in front of you so wherever you go you can have a snack here and there and i grew up in that environment where i used to be in the bazaars and i used to make them i watched them make fresh you know samosas to to all these sort of sweets like rasgullas fresh and you have a tea with it and you know so i used to spend a lot of time in those markets and that kind of thing and then i kept on thinking okay this place you know how can i you know it's elongated you know it's not a massive restaurant and i've got big restaurants you know in terms of i'd be competing with, with big chandeliers and you know contemporary <laughs> what do you call it right 
how, so I took a reverse thing. I said, you know what, I'm going to really, how do I sort of give an exposure to people in terms of that little bit of experience of mini, sort of transport them from, uh, from here to the Indian subcontinent. So that's all I kept on thinking. And then I really went really rustic. I really, what do you call it? Uh, and, and like this, a lot of these places, you know, they might look tacky, they might look shoddy, but the food is unbelievable, some of these places. Yeah, and one, and, and as a chef, you know, you go and share, uh, taste memory. So you, you sort of, okay, I have this memory of this flavor that I like and how do I bring this to life, you know? And I had a funny experience, I was 14 in Bangladesh, imagine that, 14 years old. So it was, I, I had a little bike and it got punctured and um, I traveled miles away on, in a coach without telling my parents. <laughs> and first time I traveled on my own uh, that far. That far, and um, there was a uh, like a you know food hut. You know, they they just it's buzzing. People are just it's in and out, like just packed, and they just basic curries. They're throwing food at people. You know, boom, boom, in and out, and they got like guys sweating at the back, cooking away, right? And I had this very basic curry in in our what do you call it? It's quite a basic curry, like it's 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 a fish called Fabia mass. Okay, it's um, it's a freshwater fish, uh, quite small. Uh, and it's got a very light fillet. It's on the bone, so it was cooked whole, and with a very thin, watery, sort of brothy kind of curry. Mm. And um, I had that. Like I said, it's very basic-looking shack, you know, corrugated steel, you know, open, what do you call it? And little flat plate came this curry, and to this day, I remember how, how, how beautiful it tasted. You know, in my, you know, if I go back now, I might not think as highly of it now, but at that time, point in time, for me, it was something, something special, you know, very authentic, grow as it comes. You know, it was a bit spicy, but, but this is what it is. You know, so I held into those sort of thoughts and uh, how do I replicate it in the UK? Not all the time, not the ingredients ain't quite the same. How do you overcome all that? Then, you know, you might have an idea, then how do you materialize that in a commercial way? So this is when think they're a lot, lot difficult, you know, for you to be able to sell this. So that journey started from Lausanne, you know, because we were like, okay, you know, yes, it's mom's cooking, but it's a quiet taste. You know, us Bengalis we were born with it, so we would obviously be nostalgic about it and we will eat it. But how do you, how do you make that palatable for a Western clientele? You know, people that are going to be, okay, this doesn't look like my average Balti, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so that journey was required, and uh, like I said, it's been invaluable for us because we've we've actually sort of honed in all those things. Um, uh, yeah, and, and, and I can't complain. When you decided to make the move and make Raja Monkey slightly different, was everyone on board with you saying, "Well, I'm going it alone with Raja Monkey now"? <laughs> yeah, well, that was my ultimatum. Like, as in, um, you know, at uh, that time. I won't mention the name, he was involved and uh, I said, it's gotta be my way only. Um, but uh, they were pleasantly surprised as well, the way I executed it and they all came to life and how popular it became. Uh, like I said, it's, it won hearts and minds. And I was so chuffed. You know what I, I said earlier about putting a soul into the place? Yeah. So I don't know how far into it, but say one or two years later, Raja Monkey's all set up. You know, I declined uh, like uh, uh, customers that were frequenting my restaurant. I didn't even realize. Um, they, we're friends now. But I, I went and spoke to her one day. She says, you know what? This place, I can sense something. 
And the penny dropped for me and I said, you know what, because I never mentioned this to anyone in terms of this is my strategy or this is how, because when I work in the kitchen, we've, as you can see, we, you know, we've got an open kitchen and it used to be more of a buzz before because it was more compact before and more. Yeah, so it was the, half the yeah, size of this. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. expanded the restaurant. Yeah, like yeah. So, it's so been when more, you were eating in there, you were literally, yeah, you felt feeling, like you were you in feeling, the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So we had a bit more, bit more of a buzz and that sort of a hustle and bustle of the Indian subcontinent was there, you know, now it's a bit more clinical and more clean and what do you call it? I didn't want to lose that, but I had to make it bigger and make it a bit more streamlined so that I can service a bit more larger restaurant. You know, I was, when I'm in the kitchen, I have that in me where you want to give off that, you know, uh, sort of, I keep, keep it tense so people feel. So it's sort of the whole energy is, is from that central individual that, is there so that my whole restaurant runs from my energy and I give off, deliberately give off that energy. So everyone's got to be on the A game. Uh, not that because I don't believe in sort of, uh, sort of in terms of uh, the old school way of chefing and yeah, uh, what do you call it? And... Uh, yeah, intimidation. But I mean, uh, I've, I've, I've experienced it and, uh, you know, I've, I've been in environments where, you know, swearing and all that kind of thing happened. But here, uh, I know I've come a long way where uh, I realize people are the most important thing you've got um, and you have to nurture them. Uh, although uh, my guys, you know, they have the utmost respect and it's not that they fear me as such, it's more the respect and we've built this relationship within the whole team where they know it'll go like clockwork if they listen to me, <laughs> you know, yeah. if they, if they, what do you call it? They know you're uh, right. <laughs> yeah, so, we, so the, you know, we've got this system going um, and, and then, like I said, I, I keep people on the edge so, so that people sense it and having this open kitchen has allowed me to create this buzz as well. And then, you know, like I said, I've, I've enjoyed every bit of it, to be honest. <laughs> Is there anything you know now that you wish somebody had told you at the very beginning? Um, certain things, but like I said, most of my ideas and policies I've worked out to my surprise. Uh, but, you know, there's certain things where I, obviously I'm like 44 now. And for you to sort of take things further or embark on new adventures or projects or whatever you have to think about okay how how much shelf life do i have you know physically can i can i pull it off you know all that kind of thing i wish i had started earlier and really uh you know it grew on me as a sh like me even to this day i feel uncomfortable calling myself a chef uh so no you know it's it's one of those sort of um uh what's the word you know they call it um, imposter syndrome. Imposter yeah. syndrome, yeah. And, and, and part of it is probably because of not having that formal qualification and going through that formal process or working in establishments that, you know, I can say, yeah, you know, I work in the best establishments. Um, and that's, that's probably one of the reasons where uh, so you feel a bit lesser. It's like my younger sister, actually, funnily, she said, I don't know why you like, you know, go on about these Michelin chefs and so forth. You're on their level. <laughs> she, she, she says, you know, um, and, and like I said, I come full circle. Like I, said, I, was, I was really into, you know, sophisticated food and all that kind of thing. But then I realized, hold on, you know, this is all, all in the mind, you know, it's of perceptions, people's perceptions. Well, a good food doesn't necessarily mean it's got to be presented in the French way. Because the world is much bigger than that. Uh, and, and actually, you know, as, you know, people from the Indian subcontinent, you got more to offer in terms of flavor and so forth. So for me, the journey is flavor's king. Uh, flavor's king. 
and everything else is secondary. Uh, and 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 I do things where I like to keep things in natural presentation rather than contrived presentation or things that where you know looks effortless rather than you know putting mind before heart. Mm. Yeah. So this has all worked out for me, and and people can actually they, they feel this. You know, they can this, they can see this what I'm doing. Um, but it's very hard to hold on to those kind of values where where the whole everything else is going the other direction where everyone's trying to look fancy and all that kind of thing. But a good chef, you know, you have your, because I'm an accountant, I understand that you have your basic foundation, your principles, and then you build on that, right? Like the way people have gone through the classical college, uh, French college uh, schooling, and they have the foundation and they build on it. But for me, you're a good chef if you can retain those classical sort of understanding of flavors and what you call it, and then push things. So someone said, oh, I'm doing deconstructed, you know, plate of food, whatever, Indian food. I said to them, well, first you're gonna have to construct it first, then you deconstruct, <laughs> you know? So if you start beginning, you know, the right way around, you know, it'd be learn how to construct things properly yeah. uh, before you jump the gun and start deconstructing things and because it's trendy, um, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so a lot of things like that. So uh, then I realized, hold on, you know, most people don't like pretentiousness. As a chef, you know, you want to push things in, term, in terms of techniques and really make what you call it. But that's not my driving force. My driver is like, I want to see the ordinary person, doesn't matter what color, what cultural background they come in. If they come to my restaurant, I want them to live happy and I want them to live very satisfied. You know, that is my goal. Not necessarily, oh, is, they say, oh, he's a smart chef, you know, in my... My plate is dancing uh, with lots of things uh, popping at me, you know. <laughs> so this is, that doesn't that doesn't motivate me at all. Um, and 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 as an individual, like you know, I'm quite philosophical, and and, and you gotta have a philosophy, your own philosophy. And you gotta and I'm com- because like I says, you know, I'm not I'm not you know a 17 year old. I I'm well grounded. I'm well cultured, uh, and I have that sort of my natural what you call it is is is, is spiritual, you know, and sort of. How uh, and and one of the things I learned as well, and in business as well, they talk about it now more often. But I was doing this; I didn't realize. I, you know, they called emotional intelligence. So I was applying emotional intelligence to everything really, because I was feeling my way. I was feeling, uh, you know, subconsciously. I, you know, I was I was using my uh, all my senses rather than rather than because that's how human beings are. We are not just one dimensional end of the day. So even the way I've done my restaurant now, the deco, and I want you that natural feel about it. I always knew, you know, our USP has always been quality. All these things could mean different things to different people, right? But, you know, our underlying principle, because that also can be a USP, having a quality about everything that you do. Uh, But in terms of commerciality and the way things are going with change and so forth, it's going the other direction. So there's very little live cooking, very little, you know, in terms of respect for, uh, uh, you know, so people are cutting corners to all sorts of things that goes on uh, because commercially it's actually uh, that direction is what that the, the, you know, the gravitation is. Uh, so you in whole green on your own individual small business, how do you sort of uh, stand your ground and not be sort of swayed by all that? You know, um, that is a challenge. Uh, but. I use that to my advantage, as in, you know, people come miles from miles to, to, to this restaurant because they, they value. And, and the funny thing is, it's not just my customers, it's 
my industry peers, you know, I'm talking Bangladeshi restaurateurs, chefs, they come from miles from all across the UK and they really cheer our son, really cheer for Raja Monkey. And I'm talking genuinely, you know, you can tell, you know, obviously, you know, you go to restaurants and I know a lot of restaurateurs, you know, everyone gets praises. And people are fickle, let's be honest, you know, when it comes to food, mm. people are fickle, you know, uh, like the way things are now, a lot of fast food and all these kinds of things. And people are still saying amazing, amazing, right? So it's subjective and it's, and unfortunately, you know, people like me and people like what we're doing here, it's very sort of understated and sort of unappreciated, uh, you know, sort of not appreciated as, as it should be, I, I, I feel, because there's us putting all our blood and sweat to produce the best tasting food we possibly could. I'm not saying that there's nobody else doing good food. I'm just saying, here's us trying to give you the real deal here. The real, I, I say, you know, my goal has been I'm the real McCoy. You know, you come here, you're gonna get the real deal. What it says on the tin, it's not nothing. So there's us putting all that absolute everything in there. And then people sort of going into anywhere that's throwing rubbish at them. And that place is busy, packed out, and you think, what am I doing wrong? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, so, so people's understanding of food, maybe, and that kind of thing, you know, really, it's it's taking a although exciting for us as chef, there are a lot of foodies, but unfortunately, the food that's been thrown out at people is really I don't consider half of them to be food. You know, it's just it's just a lot of trash out there at the moment, and that also, unfortunately, you know, in the youth as well, you know, I noticed you know, very little, they don't know how to cook and stuff. So it's becoming a bit of a uh, sort of phenomenon that, you know, you, we're witnessing, thinking, hold on, what's going on here? Um, talking about cooking, like my younger sister, she graduated and got a master's, etc. She did investment banking, right? And she didn't know how to cook and she, I did a cookery class for her. Um, yeah, uh, so the, the stereotypical thinking of Asian men you know, sitting at home and the women cooking and those days are gone, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, and you're teaching your little sister. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I've yeah. seen, like, the stat, it was something ridiculous. Like, I mean, I'm sure it was nearly 90% of, like, I think it was 16 to 21-year-olds use, like, uh, Deliveroo, just eat more than, like, three times a week. That's what I'm talking wow. about. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. I wonder no one's got any money. <laughs> yeah, it's mad though, isn't it? Like, I mean, it, on the flip... It's so easy for them. Like, on the flip side, the, the youth do create this vibe. Obviously, they're not thinking about the future of paying these debts <laughs> off. But in terms of vibrancy, they do bring a lot of vibrancy and creativity, of course, yeah, of course yeah. to the city. I've noticed, you know, there's a lot of creativity and a lot of brands and all that kind of excitement in that sense is there. But I, I just hope that there would be you know, I guess I can't blame them because they've not come across solid places where, or, you know, a paired degree can, you know, where they can learn from or, yeah. you know, so I don't blame them in that Someone sense. Someone with like a solid foundation. Yeah, type yeah. yeah. So, 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 you know, most commercialized places are all about cutting corners, you know, all about <laughs> what can I get away with, you know? How much profit can I make? Uh, yeah, can I get away with? Yeah, so um, unfortunately, it is so... For me, you know, and you know, you asked earlier, what do I, what do I sort of regret or what would I have done differently? I mean, even now you probably notice from the way I speak, I'm really philosophical and I'm, I'm not really driven for money. Uh, although it's counterintuitive if you're a businessman, you know, that's not what you should be doing, right? But that's not my driving force. Everyone has different motivations and there's some people want to be famous, some people want to, you know, earn lots of money and get rich. And so everyone has a different driving, what you call it. And for me, 
I knew, I, 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 in my, what do you call it? You do, you get all the other cogs right, money will follow. Mm. Um, so uh, that's, that's how I set out. And, and I, I, I just, I just wish I was a bit more uh, sort of the entrepreneurialism sort of uh, go. I wasn't a go getter. I was when I was young, and then I just get. I just became spiritual, and I just didn't didn't want none to do that. Whereas my brother, you know, is really sort of entrepreneurial. You know, he's a risk taker. And I, me being an accountant, you know, you become prudent. You know, you become really sort of okay. You know, and and and, and if you're a perfectionist, also it doesn't help because he really stalls you down and he. So I learned some things the hard way, uh, where uh, you know you procrastinate too much, or you, you know, so um, so some of those things I would what do you call it. If, if someone with hindsight gave me those advice, would have been useful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So being a businessman and a chef are probably two of the most stressful things ever. What do you do to kind of de-stress? Do you have any hobbies or anything? I think you know the most therapeutic thing is is when I'm in the kitchen. It just, it just plateaus my life. Well, you kitchen know, hair is in. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Work, it, yeah. it sort of balances my week, balances my day. You know, uh, I find, um, although you know, it's a busy environment and what do you call it, but the buzz that you're on, you know, you're on a high at the end of each night, and it's, so you, I'm, I'm always riding that high every day, and then so that's how you counterbalance it, I think. And it's sort of, you know, I, I'm emotionally, you know, sort of plateau where, where I keep myself cool in that you know and have to because if you're in charge of the kitchen and if you lose the platter and you and then you get too excited <laughs> you know everyone else will uh, lose the lose the lose the what you call yeah. it as well so you cannot allow that uh and then that i think built this sort of resilience and this, this sort of constant uh sort of uh, um you know managing uh, stress levels um uh, i think uh, i'm fortunate for that and i think that patience that i've got through this whole process, uh, I think that's really invaluable. Yeah, just have a good natural temperament, and yeah, you have yeah. to. You have to. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm a human. End of the day, you yeah. know, I'm not going to be always. You know, what you call it. But um, uh, in terms of the, you know, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, work hard," and I, hard work doesn't necessarily mean success. Um, but what, what I do say is, like, you know, budding chefs or young chefs is put in the graft then try and become a celebrity or whatever else you want to be, you yeah. know, uh, put in the graft and it will pay off. It'll pay its dividend. Okay. Put your head down. Uh, don't, you know, don't try and outwit and, and smart in the kitchen and become, you know, uh, quickly jump, jump, you know, different uh, grades and, you know, uh, and become uh, a super cook or chef because end of the day, those foundation will, will actually put you in good stead. Respect, uh, respect, you know, learning, respect learning and learn all the time. Be a sponge, be a sponge. And, you know, those are kind of would be my kind of advice because, uh, um, you know, yeah, I, I really, because it's a bit of haves and have nots, you know, people that been through the sort of academic sort of process or got a degree, for example, wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't feel the same with someone that's not been through that process. If I had the opportunity and I was a bit younger now, and the kind of opportunities are there now in terms of the kind of establishments that you could work in and then get exposure in, I would take it with both hands, you know, mm. uh, because there are brilliant, brilliant restaurants out there, places you can, you know, will put you in, you know, excel your career so much. You know, they've done the foundational work for you. It's like people that have been in the industry, they accumulated all this knowledge, all these wealth and techniques and learning. And when they tell you, do this this way, do this this way, it's learnt. 
and they're passing this on to you, which is invaluable, right? So you've got to value that and you've got to respect that. That's really also another aspect where when, when diners sometimes come in and critique the price of what you're offering, what they don't realize, yes, there's differences in establishments and differences in the products that people are putting out there. But if you can't distinguish between the product that's in front of you and what's gone in that establishment, you know, I'm talking 27 years of my career and wealth of knowledge I'm putting on a plate for you and you're disrespecting me and saying the price is too high. Okay, it's like going to a solicitor that's going to give you a good advice, right? And say, <laughs> and who's put hours and hours of academic study, etc., uh, and, and not valuing you, not valuing that person's a similar thing for a chef, also similar thing for a restaurant, also. You know, so before we judge to conclusions where whether something's worthy or not, it's my accumulate. It's not like oh, my one hour of cooking in the kitchen right now. It's all those accumulated years of what I'm putting in front of you. Even now, I could say with confidence, some of my dishes here, you will not find it anywhere. You will not find it anywhere. So that means it's very rare thing what you're experiencing here. And we're giving you an experience like no other, right? And, you know, uh, so, you know, for you to belittle it by saying it's too expensive, you know, that is almost can be deemed uh, to be, you know, demeaning to us. Plus the menus are available before you go somewhere. So if someone does have a problem, Listen. like who doesn't, well, it might just be me. I don't know. We study but I study now. a menu. If I'm going to go somewhere, I'll have a look at the menu before I go. And if mm. I think I, I can't afford that, then that's fine. Don't go. If it's not, in, you don't happy. Some people aren't comfortable paying a certain price and that's fine. If you don't want to, don't, but don't get there and complain when the menu was available for you to see before you got there. Absolutely right. Absolutely. I mean, we are offering what we are offering. You know, we we want to be com- you know, competitive. We want to be value for money. Yeah, but there comes a certain point where, mm. you know, for the effort and everything that you're putting in, you know, and for us to even survive, um, you know, things are so difficult. Because me being a management accountant has helped tremendously, you know, and I, I feel for people, the restaurateurs out there that don't have those skills uh, because it really is a numbers game. It really is like... You, one day you could be losing money. You don't even realize <laughs> so you're losing money uh, so quickly. Mm. Um, if it was easy, then everyone would be having, you know, there'd be loads of brilliant restaurants, wouldn't there? You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just it's just a really a, a, a synchronization game that we have to play all the time. So uh, I, I do have that gripe, especially for for Indian food. You know, it might be because of the, the years of, you know, people just dishing, throwing you know, food at people that has put this perception that Indian food should be cheap and cheerful, you know. That's uh, the problem. Their food's too cheap. That's the problem. Yes, that's right. So yeah. I don't necessarily blame uh, the diners as such because, you know, well, if everyone else is doing a seven ninety nine, why can't you do seven ninety nine? Yeah. Right? Uh, so, um, but uh, I guess luckily it's only in the minority few people that would, would actually complain like that and they, they go very satisfied when they come uh they, they realize what we're doing they can see it you open kitchen and they can mm. see you know, how much passion i mean it's a cliche to use but we you know we're so passionate about what we do and people can sense it and see it yeah that's good do you you've done a fair few pop-ups and you see you come up Raja monkey comes up at like independent festival and you did something at harvey nicks yes. and we see you here, there, and everywhere. Is that something you're going to continue doing? Well, if the opportunity is right, I am. I have done things like the Rep Theatre. We have done like a program like uh, called Bangladesh to Birmingham. Uh, so I'm doing lots of things like that where it, it takes you out of your comfort zone. We, we're not, we don't do Bangladeshi food as such here. There's elements of things, obviously. But 
that was event was purely Bangladeshi food. So, you know, I had to really push myself out like 200 people, for example. That was amazing. Uh, and it was an it was an occasion, uh, and it was a bit of an honor as well because uh, you know you are you are you are the representing uh, particular mm. regions food and that kind of thing. So I'm I'm actually a quite a, a reserved and shy individual. You know I don't I don't like to be seen out there. Uh, I mean, <laughs> funny story like early on in Lausanne, um, my brother would put me forward on you know magazines. We you know we do various things like go NEC. We do we do you know. Food cook-offs and all sorts, like, and demos and that kind of thing, and and they did put me in magazines. So you'd have a reporter once come, and he says, "Hold the play on one hand," because my mother, my brother mentioned I do I used to do martial arts, like I used to teach kickboxing, and uh, he, he said, "Put one leg up and hold another play," and he took a picture of me. <laughs> And after that, I said, no, no, no way. This is not me. I don't want to do this, right? <laughs> and I just, I just like, said, no, my place, you know, I'm happy with being in the kitchen. I don't care. I don't, I don't want to do this kind of nonsense, you know? And um, uh, so really, I've been getting on with it. But being an owner of, like, a business, you know, the way things are, and, you know, I deliberately had to sort of show people what we're about and that this place revolves around me and there's a personality involved and but i've come a long way um so i'm really having to push myself out there put myself out there for those various reasons you know and then and then i give a point of difference as well because not many people are doing what i'm doing and that kind of thing so we have lots of things planned there's really good good uh, good stuff coming up uh, i'm going to be involved with this is the exciting uh, thing i think of birmingham at the moment like pop-ups and crossovers and yeah. People cooking two different chefs, three dishes, one, three dishes. Like, yeah. This whole collab thing that goes on at the yeah. moment is really interesting. It seems like there's a lot of it going on in Birmingham at the moment. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got like an artist friend that we do a lot of collabs with. Um, did a, you know, different, lots of interesting events. Um, there's one coming up where with the, with the actual council, actually, Birmingham, uh, where European delegation is coming. And I'm going to give them the the Balti experience, or not well, Indian food experience. Yeah. Um, and I did that similar thing when I went to um, uh, Salzburg. I don't know whether you've seen that. Mm. Uh, that was amazing because because my friends, he's he's actually did a exhibition at the uh, Birmingham Museum talking about the uh, the heritage of Indian restaurant sector. And so he was him he was invited to go to Salzburg to tell the story of the Birmingham curry scene or the British curry scene and then he rang me up he says Munaim, what we, you know, we're going to give an experience we'll give him a whole experience so I flew over with him and it was like the, a bit like the flying doctor but I was a flying chef basically I would put all my spices <laughs> in one bag a suitcase and you know you're flying blind you know what to expect Salzburg I don't know I mean uh, what they have or don't have ingredients wise you know have <laughs> the head of Indian food I had no knowledge zero knowledge about it uh, and, and I cooked up a uh, massive you know 80 people delegation these were these were delegates from all around the world uh, USA Australia you name it South Africa uh, and I, I put on a display of basically you know Indian food and and my friend asked me reluctantly he was quite nervous to us he goes Munaim can you do a chicken tikka masala because uh, <laughs> and he knows I'm like dead again you know we never after we never sold in our last 20 years of the lasang, we never sold chicken tikka masala on our menu, <laughs> all right. So, so I said, well, you know what? It's British curry, and there's no British curry without the chicken tikka masala, so I will do it. But what I did it was a rendition of the best possible British curry. Because yeah. if asked ten chefs, 
make me a chicken tikka masala. They'll make it ten different ways, and this is how it is, all right? So I said, forget this. Then I'm going to do my version of. I've I've tasted good ones and I've tasted really bad ones. Okay, in the UK, and and I said, you know, I'm going to do my version of it, and you know what? It was a major hit over there. Yeah. Uh, 80 people. They were they were the whole mood changed. People are coming up to me. You know, even Indian people were there as well. The uh, he, I think he was the um, vice president of the Salzburg uh, seminar. He came up to me and he said, "We've been, I've been working, I've been doing this job for 20 years." And he goes, "This will be event will be remembered for another 20 years." Oh, <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So okay, like I said, you know, by throwing myself out, my, I said, you know what, this is once in a lifetime. If I don't do it, I'm never going to do it. Even though I didn't know what to expect, how am I going to pull it off? Okay, I ended up in a Sri Lankan restaurant, very rudimentary. Yeah. Didn't have knife, nothing. I mean, blender, nothing. You know, the fridge weren't working that day. The extraction system <laughs> wasn't working that way that day, right? No pots, no wedge pans, and I was on my own. I didn't take a team, and and to cook for 80 people, and and you know, he said, I said, oh, can I get curry leaves? And he says, "Yeah, he got me dried curry leaves." I said, "I can't work with this." So he says, "Okay, his son, his son's a bit younger." And he said, "He followed the UK." And he says, "Oh yeah, I know you think of you guys and whatever." Then he went, "Okay, I'm gonna get you some curry leaves, better ones." Then he came with frozen curry leaves. I was like, <laughs> "I was like, well, we don't work with this stuff." You know, so uh, even though with all those kind of behind the scenes drama, uh, uh, you know, you went down, uh, you went to a treat, and I was really, really shocked at the end. It's awesome. Yeah. So when's yeah. chicken tikka going on the menu? Chicken tikka <laughs> <laughs> masala on the menu. Yeah. What, um, what days are you open here? Yeah, so we do open six days of the week. Monday's yeah. closed. Yeah. So Sundays extended hours from one to nine. You know, closed Mondays for that very reason to up our standards. Because mm. what I found before we used to open lunch, and our team we used to cook in lunch, and we were serving customers at the same time. It, we had an effect on the standard. Uh, so I played a lot of that because a lot of you know thought process went into behind the scenes of why you see now the end result of Raja Monkey about how do I up the standards. When I first took over, I analyzed A to Z, and you know it was hit and miss. You know some things were good, some things people went well with some. So so uh, you could not have that. You can't have that where you and I are dining together. You have a wow you know dish, and you were like satisfied, and I are like oh I'm disappointed with my dish. So you can't have that on a menu. So I went through the process of cleansing all that. How do I, you know? So by by closing one day and giving my guys off, and so you have same person doing the same job repeatedly. Automatically, you improve the standard. You improve consistency. So those very reasons, you know, we you know we got the best team every day, and 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 uh, that's that's the kind of reasons why you know we we've maintained the standards that we have. Good way to kind of finish off and fun way, light-hearted way to finish. I'll just ask a few um, yeah, general sure. questions. Yeah. What's your favourite TV show? Oh. <laughs> Or do you not watch much telly? You tend um, to find some of the chefs we speak to that don't seem to watch anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't have time to watch TV, to be honest. Um, I, I, I deliberately avoid it most of the time. But wow. Do you have a favourite uh, movie? Yeah, a few. Um, I never used to, but a few I like. Yeah, I mean, uh, over the years, you know, things like, Uh, the Gladiator, some of the some of the classics, really. Uh, you know those kind of movies. I, I I like really period kind of kind of all those kind of yeah. uh, films. Like <laughs> yeah. Big sort of classic. Big classics. Films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Is there a cookbook you'd recommend to anyone? Hmm. Interesting. Um, 
Which one would I recommend? I mean, if you're starting out, you know, Camille Punjab's um, cookbook, um, which, you know, sort of her 50 dishes, Indian dishes, uh, she calls, and uh, it's quite sort of a good foundational sort of recipes there uh, that I think that should be in your repertoire to read. What's your favorite dish that you cook at home? Mm. At home, I cook different, like pasta, fish, or, you know, I'd, um, you know, just quick stuff and, and quite basic sort of um, sort of non-Indian stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, you know, I cook for the family. Um, I, li- I like simple flavors, you know. Um, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing. Uh, I'm, because I'm open-minded. I mean, I like certain flavors I personally like, you know, I like healthy food. You know, I, I'd eat things with olives and all that kind of thing, but um, nothing I would say I'm, I'm particularly like, strong like feeling of this is you know the best food i you know um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I try not uh, sort of limit myself into uh, i keep an open mind about food oh, nice. other than birmingham what's the best food destination in the world what city you're heading to um i can't say that to truly because i haven't traveled much um but one place i do like you know the vibe um, sort of in London, there's one or two places I think they do really good food. Um, and I like Sri Lankan cuisine. Mm. You know, I think that thing's really, really nice. He has, he has a bit of everything. You know, he's got a bit of Indianness, a bit of a diff point of difference to, to the Indian food as well. Um, uh, yeah, I really like Sri Lankan food. <laughs> yeah, nice. yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, funnily enough, is that in the UK you're actually got access to really good food comparison to, uh, you know, even in the Indian subcontinent, you know, not many places. They don't, just because you hear Indian food, it doesn't mean every place is going to be necessarily amazing. You know, not every place uh, do care about what they put out to people, you know. That, that culture of eating out and stuff is a new phenomenon, like I said. So you're more likely to find good food in people's homes <laughs> uh, where stereotypical sort of all the classic food has been cooked, you know. A lot of the time it's in like open flames. Uh, we call it chula, which is like just sort of basic way of cooking. You know, we, we bring logs in the ground and you're burning logs and you're cooking on open fires, you know. Very rudimentary, very sort of uh, how, how we, uh, we've always been cooking um, you know, as humans. Uh, and then it has the smoky flavors and, yeah, you know, it adds, uh, a, lot to adds a lot of what you call anyway, it. So, yeah. I've, you know, women just sit on there, out in the garden, nice weather, obviously, around there. Uh, and they just throw, you know, all the ingredients in one pot and it comes out beautiful, you know. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's me, Dan. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you thank very you much. Thank you so much oh, for coming out. Thank you. I could talk forever. Listen, man. Yeah. No, thank you guys because, you know, obviously um, it helps to get the message out there, isn't it? Like if people do bother listening um, and have the patience to hear, you know, a bit of that. <clears throat> it, it helps because uh, we, you know, we're a little restaurant. We're trying to say, hello, guys, we're here. You know, notice us. You know, look how much hard work we're putting behind the scenes. Uh, and then and, and not people are, you know, oblivious to it, you know. And it, it sort of, you know, any little thing helps, you know. Yeah, so thank you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.